The spirit that I feel this morning is very much um, in line with what I perceive to be the spirit you feel this morning. And um, I hope today that God would speak and that we would hear and that we would respond today. If you have a Bible this morning and you'll read along with us, we're going to take a reading from the 103rd Psalm this morning. The 103rd Psalm will be our scripture reading today. And we're going to read all 22 verses of the 103rd Psalm. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from the destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewardeth us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as flowers of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearken unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And that'll conclude our reading this morning. That's reading the entirety of the 103rd Psalm today. 
The title that I would like to put upon our message this morning can be drawn from the first or from the last verse. And the title is, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Bless the Lord, O My Soul. I don't know this for sure, but I feel it is true. I think David was an old man when he wrote this. Because as you read this text, as you read the next chapter also, there is a seasoned understanding in this chapter. Or in other words, this is written by a man who knows the Lord. I'm not talking just about someone who has been saved by God's grace. I'm talking about someone who really knows the Lord. As I was reading through this this week, many times I began to think of the book of Philippians and how as we read in the book of Philippians, you can tell that Paul is old because the things that he speaks of, only wisdom and experience can teach. There is this seasoned understanding in the psalmist's words this morning that many of you older might recognize the tenor of this music that he's writing here. You see, one disadvantage of the young, no matter how a, a man or a woman progresses in their youth and no matter how much it's, uh, they learn, there is something that the steadfastness of God can only teach you over years and years and years of various trials and observations. David remarked somewhere else and he said, I once was young, but now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. You see, when we see an act of God once, we might marvel at it. We might rejoice in it. We might praise God over it. But when somebody has seen over the course of their lifetimes, dozens and dozens of times, where God has rested his hand upon their life in a way that only they would recognize or in the lives of those that are close to them or in the lives of those that they're acquainted with and they see God's deliverance and his preservation and his blessings over and over and over, what it begins to do in the heart of a believer is it begins to chisel down deep within us the character of the great God that we serve. We understand more fully his greatness the longer we're exposed to it. And here this man, David, we can see just there's so many things that I won't get to this morning that the writer David begins to talk about that is seasoned with the depth of his understanding of who God is. And what better phrase, what better song could he begin than to begin his music with what the rest of his psalm is going to be about, and that is, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Here, David, that's the, that's the beginning of what he's going to talk about this morning. He's going to tell you why that everything inside of him blesses God. You know, this, this week I was thinking about a teacher that I had in school. 
And uh, I was in the eighth grade. I was not a very good student. I was lazy and had a lot of other qualities that were not, not good to be a teacher of. And I didn't like her very much for a really long time. Her name was Mrs. Bridgewater. And she would make us do things, and she would say things, and she would act in certain ways, and she was intolerant of my behavior. And for the first three-fourths of the year, I silently despised her. I was saved at this point. And then there was an occurrence that happened, and I won't go into any details, but there was something that happened where I got to see the goodness of, behind her character. I got to better understand the context of why she was the way she was. That experience being in her classroom day after day after day, finally there came a point when I looked at the collective and I understood to a greater degree what she was trying to accomplish both in all of her students, but particularly in me, I then began to appreciate her and that class that I despised the second period going to every morning was then the class that I began to look forward to because what I recognized was that at first I I was judging her solely based upon her actions and not the character behind her actions. But as I began to more fully understand who she was and that you could trace every action that she performed to an aspect of her good character and that that character was wielding unpleasantness to her students in order for something good to take place in us. Or in other words, she was trying to instill something more than just momentary happiness. Now I look back, and of all the teachers that I had through those years, she's my favorite. And the reason why is because now as a mature adult, I understand that she didn't take the path of least resistance. She was after my long, the, long, uh, the longevity of my good. She cared about me. Really, the year I was out of eighth grade is the year that she retired. And I remember at first when I learned of her retirement thinking, man, how lucky the next kids. They don't, get, they don't have to go through that. And then as she stood up there on graduation of eighth grade night and I watched her speak, I thought, man, how sad that those kids don't get her. You know, I think today, lost, lost friend, as I begin to get into this message this morning, my, my mind goes to you and I think, one of the things I remember after I got saved thinking was that I never want to forget what it's like to be a kid lost and what you felt. Because I felt very often that their people would get up and testify or preachers would get up and preach and the things they would say just didn't resonate with me. I would think, you just don't get it. You just don't understand. And perhaps there was a degree to that that was true, that the further we get from that experience, perhaps there are certain things that we forget about the realities of being lost and especially having the mindset of a child. This morning, we tell you to trust the Lord. We tell you to give everything over to Him. We tell you to surrender. We, we use all these phrases. We tell you to do all these things. But you don't know Him. So we're telling you to put not only some trust, but complete trust in somebody that you don't know at all. 
Imagine, parents, if we were to take our children to somebody's house, we woke them up in the morning, and we were going to take them to somebody's house, and they had never met this person before. They knew nothing of this person, and we hadn't even spoken about them too often or the character of that person. As you were driving over there, what would you likely do? As you're driving to that person's house, you would likely say, This is who this person is, and here is why I trust them, and as a result of why I trust them, you ought to trust them as well. One of the wonderful things about coming into the house of God is the unique opportunity that very often missionary Baptist people give for people out in the congregation to speak, because what it allows for is for your children and your grandchildren and for, friend, or for your Sunday school kids or people that unknowingly look up to you, they get to hear your testimony about the goodness of the God that we are advocating to them. It's always bothered me, and I say this very gently, how much time is spent requesting prayer for people who are saved and sick versus the time spent praising our good God. They need to know he is good and he is worthy of their trust that when we tell them, abandon it all, when we say, take up thy cross and follow him, When we say forsake all of your dreams, forsake every desire that you have, and just surrender to the person of Christ, that they know that comes from a combined centuries of experience in this room of people who have gone through a variety of circumstances. That's one of the wonderful things about being your pastor is that over this last year, I've had this wonderful privilege to sit in your homes and to talk to each of you and to learn all these different circumstances and situations and your backgrounds and the hardships you've gone through and the sufferings that you've endured in the past and the sufferings you endure presently. And I get to hear all of these things, but then in connection with that, I get to hear about how God delivered you and helped you and, and, and that you survived, not only survived the struggle, but what God taught you through those things. There is centuries of praiseworthy material right here. Amen. You know, very often, and here's how the psalmist begins. One of the things I love about this psalm is he spends three verses thanking God for what he has done and the rest of it thanking God for who he is. Oh, that's awesome. Here's why that's awesome. If you were to ask my children, why do you love your dad? Especially my younger children. Do you know what they would tell you? Things that I do. Well, he gives us candy. And he plays with us. And he, all these lists of things that we do. But as my children get older, I hope, just as if you were to remark about why you love your children, that their love and understanding of who I am goes beyond what I have done. Because what you really realize, what they realize as they grow, is what he has done is just indicative of who he is. I love what the psalmist does here. He speaks, and it's almost like he gets the less important things out of the way. And he says... Here are the things God has done for me. And listen, those are important things. And he gives a whole list of these things. If you look at your scriptures this morning, in verse 3, he tells us, He forgives us of all of our iniquity. He heals us. He redeems our life, the King James says, from the destruction. Also, you could read it in a different version or in the original, from the pit. 
Are there not many times in your lives where God has rescued you from the pit of sin? Are there not times where your boneheadedness, where your your backsliding, where your sinfulness and how you have forgotten God, just as David, the psalmist, understands, because there was a day when that man looked upon the rooftop and saw this woman, and he was willing to go down into that pit of sin and murder her husband and go and lie with this woman and then ignore the fact that he had ever done it. Oh, but did God leave that chosen man? Did God leave that redeemed man down in the pit of his own sin? No, he didn't. I love, I love what he did. He sent this old man to come. And it's as if that old man with his, with his parable just drops down this rope to David down in the pit of his own sin. Notice that David didn't get down there with him. He lets down this rope. And he says, let me pull you out of the pit. Aren't you glad this morning, and the psalmist goes on later to talk about this, that God does not reward us for the gravity of our mistakes. Imagine if in full you paid for your own sins. He tells us, he redeems us. Then he uses, I love this, I love this wording, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. There are times I was, I was going to speak negatively of this, but I'm afraid somebody here might go through this, so I'm going to hesitate for a moment. I've seen birthday parties with young girls, 15, 16, 17 years old, and their parents want to celebrate And so what do they do? Well, they get them a brand new outfit and they invite all their friends over. And sometimes, in my opinion, they go a step too far. And they give them a crown. Right? They make them look all beyond special. Now you recognize what the psalmist is doing here is that's what he's doing. He's listing all of the blessings of God that he forgives us of our sins, that he heals us from uh, from the diseases that we might incur, that he does all of these things. And as if that is not enough, he says he crowns us with his mercy and his loving kindness. I love the fact sometimes, do you recognize about the goodness of God that very often he is kind to us just because? God does not function on this do this and I'll bless you basis, but he looks at us and he sees his children and he sees his creation and very often he looks down in loving kindness and he says, I'm going to demonstrate my love and affection for you just so you know that I love you. We serve a great God today who has done so much for all of us. The psalmist continues the simplicity of this. Who satisfies thy mouth with good things. All of us, I'm sure, have our, what do they call them, peccadillos? The finicky things about us, you know, the things that are unique to all of us. Certain things you like, certain ways you like for things to be done. Just, it is in a sense what makes your personality who you are. Aren't you grateful sometimes that God just satisfies those? You know, much is said in the, in, in, from behind our pulpits, and I think rightfully so, about 
overindulgence. We got to beware of that. Being too carnal, focusing too much on riches, all of those things are sins which are deeply planted in our American culture. And we have to be careful with that. But we don't want to go so far that we don't, want to, don't do what the book of Ecclesiastes tells us to do. And that is a good thing for a man to do is enjoy what God has blessed him with. That if you have children in your home that God has blessed you with, not only focusing so much on trying to produce a godly result, a mighty man or a woman of God, not focusing so much on trying to accomplish in them all that God wants you to, but also stepping back for a moment and recognizing God has given you and your children and grandchildren immense gifts that satisfy your heart and satisfy your life. And in those fleeting moments, as Sister Peggy referred to, those moments that are speeding on so quickly that we would stop from all the doing and just appreciate the things that God allows us to enjoy. Do you recognize that we serve a God that sometimes gives us things just so we can enjoy it? That was hard for me to learn as a parent. You know, that sometimes it's just okay for me to give my kids something just for them to enjoy. I'm not using it as a means to teach them or discipline them or, 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 or have all these character qualities I'm worrying about. Sometimes it's good for me to say, I know you love this, and because I love you, here you go. Where did I learn that? Right here. It's like I had to learn to accept God loves me. I want to to read you something real quick. This is, this took me what I'm about to, what I'm about to read here. It took me a long time to understand. You may not have had the same struggle. This took me a long time to understand. It's very brief. When I consider the fickleness of my loyalty, the volatility of my emotions, the arrogance of my own thoughts, the selfishness of my ways, and the frailty of my abilities, it seems impossible that an all-knowing God would dare grant me even the smallest morsel of blessings, let alone the life that I presently enjoy. And then when I remember that the good and perfect gifts enjoyed on earth are but droplets compared to the ocean of blessings which await me. Like the psalmist, I am compelled to cry, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Listen, lost friend, today, we don't serve a God that you have to I'm trying this morning, the purpose of why I'm telling you all this is to tell you that he is a God worth trusting. And I've only gotten into the shallow stuff so far. This is just ankle deep. Because the psalmist goes on and he begins to talk about who God is. And the first one that he mentions, I think, is so relevant to our church and particularly our lost people. Because at our church, and and perhaps uh, we've had many lost people seek for a prolonged period of time. And we have things, before I even get there, I want to make this comment. We have things that naturally already work against you as a lost person from properly seeing God for who he is. Number one, you can't see him. And 
I would be kidding if I said that's not one of the most difficult things about God in this life. You can't see him. That's just hard for everybody. Oh, is there not a part of me that wishes very often? Have I not said many times to God, Lord, if you'll just send me an angel and tell me. If you'll not just let me audibly hear your voice. If you'll not give me a sign and I'll come up with some uh, crafty creation and say, if I can just see this happen right now, I'll believe you. The fact that God's invisible certainly works against you. It's hard to trust a God that you can't see. That's not the only obstacles working against you this morning about rightly seeing who God is. Along with him being invisible, we have this professional artist. And as we referred to him down in in the fellowship hall on Wednesday night, he is an expert at drawing false caricatures. A caricature, for those, if you don't know what that is, is I, I think of when I've gone to theme parks before, you go to some fun place for kids, and, and they, you sit down at this thing, and this artist draws you, except for it's not you. It's kind of you. Right? It, it, it deforms certain features to where it looks enough like you to where you recognize it, but it doesn't look enough like you to actually be an accurate portrayal of who you are. Oh, the greatest person at drawing false caricatures is Satan himself. That's what his expertise is, because what we find is that just shortly after his creation there in the garden, that's what he was doing, is that he was depicting to mankind and a part of God accurately, but the rest of it he was distorting in order to do what? Create distrust. Oh, I love what the psalmist is doing here in verse 6 and 7. Because you see, in our situation that we're going through, we have these lost people and they come and they seek the Lord for hours sometimes at a time and they go back and then the next night they come back and so faithfully they have been coming and praying and praying and praying and praying. And obviously there can be a part from our human nature that says to God, Lord, we have these people who are confused about their salvation. Why don't you just zap it down to them and make them understand it? Or we look at our lost people and we say, Lord, they look so sincere. They cry their eyes out. They get up in the middle of the night and they go pray. And there's a part of us, even as Christians, who can be tempted in those moments of weakness to, in our minds, believe the false caricature that Satan has painted, that God is, for some reason, being unfair to that person. Oh, but the psalmist, he's much wiser than to believe this false caricature. See, I believe at this point, he had been around for a while. He knows who God is. And he recognizes that any reason why God is withholding salvation to people who cry out for it, any reason why God is withholding healing from those who are diseased, any reason why God is not giving the confused person great clarity is a reason sufficient for the psalmist. He knows God. And he says in verse 6, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are of the oppressed. This morning, if you are here and you're lost, I want you to know without any doubt that the God I serve, I, I have no hesitation. You ever, you know, whenever I was a teacher, I would get requests for recommendations from students. They, I, I taught all seniors, so they would come to me and they'd say, hey, will you write me a letter of recommendation? And sometimes I'd just say no. Or sometimes I'd just write it honestly and then they'd throw it up and throw it away. But, 
oftentimes there were those students that fell in that middle ground where you're saying, you know what, I really like this kid and they do a lot of things well, but I have this degree of hesitation in giving them my full endorsement. This morning, you know, I would say for a long part of my Christian life, there had come times where I would say things about God to people, but there would always be this back of my mind fear. But what if God doesn't come through? But what if God isn't as just as what I know he said to be, but I can't explain these situations from the past that seem to lean to the fact that God is unjust. But the longer I know him, the more confidence that I have in saying, God is 100% just. Judson this week said, Dad, I hope at our revival a whole bunch of people get saved. I said, me too, son. And he said, I hope 13 people get saved this week. I said, you know what, son? There was a day at Old Union about 30 years ago. I can't remember the number exactly, but I said, I think it was around 9 or 10 in one night. And you'd have seen him in Emmett's eyes. What? Almost like they didn't recognize that God could do it. I want you to know, lost person today, God's arm is not shortened, nor is his ear slack. But here's even to me the more important part. Not only does he have the ability, he has the eager desire. You think we would be delighted if this altar was full and everybody got saved? Oh, our delight is pale in comparison to what God's delight would be. There is nothing that would please God more in this wicked, sinful world where sin abounds everywhere to look down and see an altar full of young people calling out to God and saying, God, I hear these testimonies of your goodness. I hear how you bless and you love and you're just the essence of all that is good. And God, more than anything, that is what I want. And he sees child after child or older person after older person who for years has been confused, who for years has sought after you. Nothing would give God more delight than in his absolute justice and fairness to reach down and save every person. Nothing would give God more delight. You know what he wants to do? He'll do it fairly. He's fair this morning. Don't believe the false caricature that God is withholding something from you. Eve believed that and look what happened as a result of that belief. God is not withholding anything that he... Actually, I believe the more I study the scriptures, it's quite the opposite. It's not that God is sitting here saying, well, keep trying, keep going. Let me think about it a little longer. Well, when you do these little things, maybe I'll agree. Rather, what God is doing is he has his hands just full of blessings and he is ready to drop them at the moment that we meet his conditions. And when we do, he sprinkles from this great cornucopia of his blessings all over in so much that we cannot take in all of the blessings which God can give. That's my God. That's who I serve. That's who you serve. It's not a God that just has cool things. It's a God who is altogether good. Oh, we're, we're at verse 6 of this psalm. There's 22 verses in this psalm. This is verse 6. 
Oh, he continues. The psalmist just continues going about the goodness of who God is. And look what he says in verse 7. He made known his ways. You know what I, I love about this verse? God is invisible. We just told you that a few minutes ago. But God is not a God who doesn't reveal. He's invisible. But he reveals himself. Here, the psalmist is reflecting back in the past about what God has done. And he's telling us he's a God who reveals himself to us. Listen, these moments of darkness that we tread through in this life, these times, Brother Witty, where we say, you know what? Things all around me, I don't know if I can bear. I don't know if I can understand. I don't know what to do. I feel as though I am flailing in the darkness and I am looking up to the heavens and I'm saying, God, please make my path known. The psalmist writes here, he is one that will reveal himself to us. What is the song? What, what is the verse? And he leadeth me. I was just singing it last night. He said, if I could just take, clasp his hand and just walk with him, that he would be content. Right? A person who is led by the Lord. That, that's, that's one of the wonderful things about the Lord. There is no darkness to him. The darkness is as clear as the light. And if the Lord is leading us, all I have to do is clasp my hand to his and therein be content. Oh, that's just how a child, you ever, you ever been with a child? I can, I can think of a couple instances with my kids with dogs. Unknown dog, you're walking and an unknown dog comes and it's at a distance and you don't know what to do, surely. And then the kid you know, notices the dog and is getting scared. Say, listen, just hold my hand. It'll be okay. In truth, I don't know if it's going to be okay or not. What I do know is that I'm going to give the dog as much fight as he's going to give me to protect that kid. And in that, I feel like my child is safe. But I don't know for sure. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that the God who reveals doesn't always show us. He shows us that he knows what to do. And that all we have to do is clasp his hand. I think of, of two brothers here that have spouses that they have requested prayer for often that they want to see saved and come to church. I think of you two brothers very much, Brother Brian. I think of you guys. And I think, you know, at this present moment, they may, I just don't, I don't know how my wife is going to listen, come to church. There's just so much, and I, I don't know your situations. I'm just, hypothesizing here from previous experience with people. There's just so much animosity and hesitation. And I wish this morning that I could assure you, you know what? I, I can assure you this is what's going to happen. I don't know. But what I do know is this. If you'll clasp onto the hand of the Lord, the God who reveals and can cause things to happen and trigger in their heart that looks down upon your humble, beseeching heart that says, God, please, I don't see the path forward, but please do a working in their heart. God can do that. God will do that. i got to begin to close this morning. I, I, I just keep on talking about the goodness of God. 
I want to hit two more points that I'm done this morning on these scripture readings. Look at verse 12. Very famous scripture reference, at least. I don't think people quote it, but they reference this. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. thinking, young person, I want to give you two definitions today. Mercy. Mercy means when you deserve something, but you don't get it. I mean, and it's, it's in a negative way. Right? So, it's as though, and, and I learned this from somebody, and I thought it was a good example. I've shared it with the church before. To teach my children mercy, there have been times where they have transgressed, done something against the rules clearly. They know the consequence is to be disciplined. Namely, at this age with four boys, spanking. So every time that that happens, I sit them upon the bed. I make them tell me what they've done. Then I execute the punishment over and over and over and over again. And then one day, and I can still remember the face of my two older boys when I did this one day. I set them up on the bed, told me what they had done. They prepared to be spanked. They've been over. And I said, boys, today we're going to learn about mercy. Sit down. They didn't get what they deserved to get. Lost friend, because of your sins, you deserve to burn in hell forever. That's what you deserve. And there are some people there right now that are a lot better people than what you'll ever be. I mean good and decent people who have lived their life trying in all of their strength to do good works. That, that's, that's one of the things that I struggle with. I feel like guilty sometimes. Like, why me and not them? I told you before, the first time that really helped me, I was 19 and I was in Kenya in a, in a hotel room that was just nasty. And yet it was the most expensive hotel for probably 100 miles. And I thought, these, these kids, I was at about the second or third floor, these kids came out my window. They knew a white man was there, and they knew white men oftentimes brought things. And I had a whole bunch of starbursts. And here they're looking up in their mind to what would be to us the Marriott or Ritz-Carlton or some nicest place they've ever seen in their life. And they're looking up just hoping that this random man will throw down blessings. Why? So they can have just moments of pleasure in a lifetime of, of, of squalor that they live in. And I say that with all due respect. And here I'm up in my room looking at the bed and kind of snarling and looking at the bugs inside and kind of snarling. 
Why, why me and not them? Especially, you know, here's the thing that just, you, let's just keep adding to it, right? Especially when you consider my ingratitude for the abundance God has given me. Like God knows ahead of time the ingratitude that I'll have from his abundance. And before I show that ingratitude, he still gives it to me. God's mercy, and I didn't get to that in the text, but his mercy, his mercy in taking your and my sins. And, and I love how it says it. He removes it from us. You know what I imagine that as? If many of you have gotten the vaccine and they put the vaccine in your body and it, the blood takes that vaccine and spreads it all over your body. Now imagine if somebody wanted to come back and take out every particle that they put in you. It would be impossible, wouldn't it? There's no way that they could do that because too much has happened in your body to take all of that out. That's often how I imagine our sins, that my sin runs so deeply and is so interwoven through every fiber of my being, but the greatness of my God can reach down at the moment that he saves me and in the moment in a twinkling of an eye, take out every bit of my sin, not only remove it, but cast it as far from me as though it was never a part of me. I love that about the Lord. I'm going to close with verse 14. Here's what he says. First of all, in verse 13, he says, God looks at us as a father. You know how I told you, you know, sometimes you can't understand God until you get older. I think until people become a father, there's a dimension of who God is you can't quite understand. Father, mother, whatever you mean. But there's a whole new dimension that opens up to you when you have a child. There are times when my sons do wrong things. Not times, a lot of times. They do a lot of wrong things. And sometimes I know they have done wrong. And I know they're not as repentant as what they ought to be. And I know what they deserve. But sometimes I just pity them. You know, just... My love begins to violate my justice. I begin to want to cut corners for them. I just pity them. Here, the psalmist gives us, you know, I heard a comment the other day that said, fathers, be careful to remember that you share a name with God. I'll let you take that and think about it as much as you want. But there's an element of understanding we can gain from being fathered to our children. And then he tells us why in verse 14. Or what that different view causes God to see us in this way. Listen to what he says. For he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. There are specific things about my children that I know that none of you do. There are certain um, weaknesses that they have that I'm, um, I'm sensitive to that none of you even know about. That's how your children are, right? 
you've seen them in all these situations and you've analyzed them and you've talked to them and you've, you've spent years knowingly or unknowingly studying your child. You know who they are. You recognize their frame. You know their weakness. You know all the things that make them who they are. And in moments where, yes, their violations deserve all of this outpouring of, of your wrath, sometimes you withhold it for what reason? Because you just know them. And you understand, if I pour out what they deserve, it's not going to end the way that I desire it to. You remember, yeah, but they're just weak. They're just Judson, or they're just Emmett, or they're just Landry, they're just Cal. That, I just know them. Here's the thing I appreciate about God's affection towards us. He remembers that we're dust when that's to our advantage. Here's what I mean. In the context of these verses, he's saying, you sin, yet God is abundantly merciful because he looks down and he recognizes they're just dust. They're just weak. They're just feeble. They don't always understand the implications of what they're doing. They're just so weak. And in that sense, he restrains his wrath towards us. But when it comes to valuing us, he doesn't just say, ah, they're just but dust. What does he say? You're my child made in my image. You're too valuable. God remembers that we're dust only when it's to our advantage. This morning, if you're lost, as, a, as you this week think about the things that you hear and the encouragements that you hear to seek after God, all the testimonies that people say, I told our church Wednesday night, I don't want to force anybody to do anything. I want you to be prayerful about it. I had one of our lost young people say to me, I really want to hear people's testimonies. I want to hear people about when they got saved. I want to hear, understand more about how people describe that. I'm putting that in your mind, not prompting anybody to do anything outside of the leadership of the Lord today. As you hear these testimonies, as you hear the preaching of God's word, all I want you to know from this message is this. God is worth our trust. He is good itself. And I have no hesitation in recommending him to you. I say with the psalmist this morning, as he concludes, so do I. Bless the Lord. All his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul.